the relationship of friendship. We've been working our way through the relationship of friendship, and tonight we wrap up this little three-part mini-series on friendship by talking about forgiveness. Two weeks ago, we said that friendship is this close, committed you know, relationship where two or more people can challenge one another and can grow and flourish. We learned last week that the parable of the Good Samaritan challenges us not to just be friends with people that are easy to love, but in fact, uh, our neighbors ought to be people who are costly to love, who are hard to love. Those are the people we actually ought to go out and care for. Now, here's the rub, right? If I just said what, if what I just said is true, that we are supposed to love people who are hard to love and that we're supposed to get close to those people in committed relationships and care for them, uh, there's something obvious that's going to happen in those relationships, and that's this. People are going to hurt you, right? And you're going to hurt other people. Uh, That's actually the context of tonight's passage, Matthew 18, right before verse 21, where we're going to pick up. Jesus has been teaching on how to handle conflict in the church. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we actually looked at that passage and we noticed that Jesus wants us to go straight to our friend when we have problems and tell them what's wrong and things. We shouldn't be talking to other people about that until we've approached them first and supposed to cut down on gossip and talking behind people's back. But uh, Jesus has been talking about conflict and that provokes Peter to ask a question that I think probably all of us are asking when we're provoked to this costly version of love where people can hurt us and we can be in conflict. And that's this. How costly should it be? How many wrongs should I tolerate before I'm done? How many times should I be hurt? How many times should I forgive someone before I fulfilled my duty as a friend and I can wash my hands of this person and and go on my way? Tonight, as we read Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Jesus answers that question. He answers it through a parable that actually answers a different question than that question. It, the, the main question that, it's, that he's answering is this. What is God's forgiveness like? Right? We're, uh, Peter asked the question, how many times do I forgive? And Jesus answers with a parable that is actually about the question, what is God's forgiveness like? And then secondarily, what does that mean for your capacity to forgive? And that's exactly what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at those two, those two questions. What is God's forgiveness like? What is, how forgiving is God? And what does that mean for our capacity to forgive? Those two questions, we're going to look at them in turn. Uh, we're going to do that from Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And I'm going to read it for us to start. Am I right in front of it? Yeah. <laughs> Awkward. Uh, that's also going to be awkward on the podcast. Anyways, okay. Uh, by the way, we're on a podcast. I don't know if you know that. Anyways, if you miss a large group, there you go. Uh, hi, everyone who is in quarantine and might listen to this. I'm going to read it. Uh, here we go. Now that I've been super awkward. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Uh, Dear God, we pray that you would just let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Actually, I'm going to put this because I feel a little awkward standing beside. Put that right there. I'm going to move right here. Can you still see this? Can you still see it? Great. All right. So remember, we've got two questions tonight we're looking at. How forgiving is God? How forgiving is God? And, how, uh, and what does that mean for our capacity to forgive? So let's start with answering our first question. How, how generous, how forgiving is God? Look at verse tw- verses 21 and 22. Let's start with the conversation Peter and Jesus have here. Now, before Jesus, you know, God incarnate, tells the parable of this unforgiving servant, we should... Look at how he first answers Peter's desire to curb how many times he should uh, forgive his brother. He starts with the phrase, uh, Jesus starts with the phrase, I do not say to you, right? This is a motif that occurs frequently in Jesus's teaching. In Matthew 5 through 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, he'll use this motif. He'll say, you have heard it said, and then he'll say some common uh, understanding, usually about the Ten Commandments. And then he'll refute it by saying, but I say to you. Uh, Here, it's a riff on that. I do not say to you. But the idea is still the same, that on some level, Peter is introducing what is probably like a a common understanding uh, in first century Judaism, that you forgive somebody seven times. That that seems pretty gracious, right? These are people who grew up with the God of the Old Testament, know that he... uh, forgive sin, that he has made a sacrificial system where you can sacrifice a goat or a bull or a lamb and God will forgive your sin. They don't think that God is overly miserly and hates, you know, our sin. And they should know that he's gracious and forgiving. And so they're supposed to forgive one another. So he says, you know, seven times seems like a, like a lot, you know, that's, that's the conventional wisdom, but that's not enough for Jesus. Instead, he rejects this popular understanding through an allusion to probably the most famous brotherly betrayal in the Bible, and that's between Cain and Abel. If you don't know the story of Cain and Abel, they're the first brothers in the Bible, and uh, Cain murders his brother Abel out of jealousy. And in Genesis 4, shortly thereafter, 
a man named Lamech, who is a descendant of uh, Cain, is bragging about his revenge uh, against someone else, that it was 77 times greater than Abel's murder. In a sense, right then, Jesus is saying that we should be as extravagant in our mercy as the most vengeful and wrathful and angry person is with their vengeance. Right? That is as, as angry as you can get and as horrible as someone can be to you, maybe even murdering your brother mad, that's actually how compassionate I want you to be. The bar is literally as high as you can imagine it to be. And that's why when he says the number, like how many times he should do it, it's not really about the actual number 77, right? It, Jesus is not saying that you should actually count 70, up to 77 times before you stop hanging out with somebody. Uh, you kind of miss the point. If you're actually like nickel and diming how many times somebody has sinned against you, you're kind of missing the point of like forgiveness, uh, what it is, you know, uh, shouldn't keep a record of wrong. You, you also notice one of the reasons that it can't be exactly 77 times is that when Jesus tells the parable in a second, he does so not with the two debts being like 11 times more than the other, which is, you know, how many times it would be if it was just seven times or 77, some, sorry, 77 times. It's just a much bigger number, right? 77 is just a way bigger number than what Peter is asking. And it means that Jesus is, you know, snarkily saying like, Peter, buddy, you're asking the wrong question, right? You're asking how many times should I forgive my neighbor and my brother? And I'm telling you that the right question is how many times can I forgive my neighbor, right? You're asking should, you should be asking can. How, what, how many opportunities can I have in life to forgive my neighbor? And Jesus says a lot, a lot more than you even realize. The parable that follows is essentially an illustration of the depths to which forgiveness can really reach, generosity can really reach. In verse 23, Jesus says that the story he's about to tell, one that involves right an imaginary kingdom, this is not a real king, he just says, you know, once upon a time-ish, you know, there was a king. It's truly about the kingdom of heaven, a true kingdom that does exist where God is king. It's not a stretch then to see the king in this story, right? As he acts and talks and speaks, he's revealing the very heart of God. This is who God is like. He is like this king in this story with his kingdom. His many servants have racked up some debts. And one in particular from verse 24 has racked up a debt of 10,000 talents. We don't use talents today, but let me try and put it in conventional terms for you. Like what, what exactly it is Jesus is saying. A talent was the largest single quantity of currency known in the ancient world, right? You know how we have bills, right? And there's only so many bills. Like I, I think they have a million dollar bill. I think there is one of those, right? But there, I don't think we have a $2 million bill. Maybe we do, but I don't think we do. Um, there's, it's the largest unit of money imaginable in the ancient world. And it was equivalent to about 30 kilograms of silver or 6,000 denarii which a denarii is, uh, a denarius, sorry, that's a singular version. A denarius is one day's wage, and it's equivalent to, this talent would be equivalent to about 16 and a half years of work. One talent is 16 and a half years of work. 
the servant, he says, owes 10,000 of those 16 and a half years worth of labor. And to put an even finer point, it, point, point on it, uh, more than just 16 and a half years times 10,000 uh, worth of you know, days laboring, put an even finer point on it. Just as the talent is the largest uh, monetary unit in the ancient world, 10,000 is also the largest uh, units for money, or sorry, for numbers that is in the Greek system, the largest singular unit for money, uh, for which a Greek term exists. There was not really a conception beyond 10,000. There was no real need to count anything more than 10,000. You would just say 10,000 times 10,000. You say there's a lot, you know. When the two are combined, the effect is kind of, if you were to put it in like normal language, it's like Jesus said, this guy owed a zillion dollars. A zillion is a real number. I don't really know what that means. And neither do you, right? Like, you've ne- like you can't count to a zillion. It's inconceivable, basically, right? You're not supposed to be able to wrap your head around just how big this debt is. But God has forgiven his people, like what he has actually absorbed and forgiven of his people, it's supposed to be beyond human calculation, right? Hence the 77 times of Jesus being figurative, right? It's not supposed to be literal. What this parable assumes is that it is like basically the reality of what the Bible calls sin, that God is the creator of the whole world. And as such, everything belongs to him down to our very bodies, our hands, our toes, everything. He owns it all. And uh, when you do what he doesn't want you to do with those things, what you do is actually you do violence, not against some 2,000-year-old book, right? We tend to think of sin as, you know, God made some arbitrary rules, and then when you break them, when you drink too much or you, you know, cheat on a test or whatever, that you broke some rule in some old book and like, sorry, God, you know. But what Jesus is saying here is that when you sin, right, if God really has created you and knows what's best for you and actually is invested in what is good for you, you actually act in rebellion against him. You shake your fist at him. You say, I know you know how I'm supposed to function and I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to do it my way. When we lie, right, uh, if we think about what sin is, when we lie, we don't, again, just cross some arbitrary boundary. What we do is we actually dehumanize the crown of God's glory and creation. And we take, by taking away that person's agency and determining that they're not worth knowing the truth, that you have arbitrarily decided that they're not really a human being. They don't deserve the same truth that you know. When you uh, steal... Right, It's not just, and, and when I say steal, it's, I'm not talking about just things. I'm talking about when you steal credit, uh, when you know, you're playing ultimate Frisbee and you act like you made the great throw and it's all about you when really like somebody made a great catch. Right, uh, When you uh, steal glory, when you're the third person and you know who you are, when you're the third person in a group assignment and you sandbag the whole time, the other two people have to do all the work and you get an A for that assignment, You've stolen from those other two people, right? Uh, Taking credit from other people or their ideas. Like what you say by that is that uh, you tell God that everything belongs to you, not him. 
that his good gifts that he has bestowed on other people, their talents, their time, their abilities, their, even their good fortune, right? Just to be able to like make a right catch or whatever. You say, uh, you can seize for yourself whatever you want because it's all rightfully yours to give to yourself, not his to give to his people. Seeing ourselves rightly in this story, it's not just Peter that Jesus is talking to about having a debt. He's not the only one being told about God's generosity. The truth is that like by our lives, I don't care what standard you're living under, right? We, like, we just don't measure up. The truth is I don't measure up. We have an incalculable debt that we've taken on by hurting people, by looking out for ourselves, by uh, being selfish sometimes. And look at, look at verse 25. Look at verse 25. Uh, Jesus says, the truth is you cannot pay this one off. This is how bad the debt is that uh, the master orders him, the, the slave to be sold, his wife and children and all that he had for payment to be made. And you know, you know the truth is he's not even going to make a dent in what the payment ought to be because you can't actually pay it off. Think about it. Even if, think about your predicament for a second. Even if you spent the next 50 years of your life being absolutely perfect to everyone you ever met. You never lied again. You never took any credit again. You never did anything wrong again. Everybody who needed you, every friend that called you at 2 a.m., you jumped out of bed and you ran and you picked them up and you did everything right. The truth is uh, that God's standard is that you love everybody and so that you would actually just be doing what God requires of you in the first place. You can't pay off a debt on borrowed time. Right? You'd actually just be doing what God expects. And so how does that actually, how would that actually make a difference in what the things that you've already done wrong? That can't, you can't pay off a debt by doing what your boss already expects of you if you've ever taken a loan from an employer. Uh, this story affirms that it would be good and right for God to execute judgment, to call in the debts that everyone owes. Payment should be made, right? As, as much as, I think is some of us might hear that and go like, man, why is God so concerned about that? Why can't he just, I mean, the guy in this, uh, in this parable here, he seems to just be like, that's fine and lets him off the hook, right? Uh, I'll say two things about that. One, as much as we don't maybe like judgment, our like Western 21st century notion of God being like angry about the debt we owe, I would say uh, we we love the idea that there's a judge when something terrible happens and it's somebody else that did it to us, right? When, I mean, this week, um, I grew up a couple hours from here. There was a Kroger outside Memphis that was shot up by a man who uh, killed one, at least one person last I saw, wounded 12 other people, and then killed himself. Uh, where's the justice there? Somebody, like, He's, it's over for him, right? Like he doesn't have to face any of the pain or, or hurt that he caused and it's over. Uh, if, if this is all the life there is, he basically gets off scot-free. You can make an argument that he's dead, but I would argue like if that's the end of it all, then that's, the, that's it. That's the worst thing that could happen to him. Um, the truth is when we hear about uh, the Me Too movement, when we hear about Black Lives Matter, when we hear about people being hurt and oppressed and all those things like, our heart longs for somebody to do something about all that stuff. And the truth is, that's a good longing. The problem is that you are also somebody who has done wrong things. Uh, 
And so uh, that means that somebody ought to take care of that. And this parable says that someone will, that someone is God. And the second thing I would say is uh, it's, it's not just that God does that and then he can just wipe it away. In this parable, you'll notice the king, you know, does forgive the debt. Um, uh, I'm getting a little out of myself, but the, but the point is that the king uh, is gracious, right? That he doesn't uh, just um, execute judgment right away. I, I want to say one more note about the, the predicament that this guy is in before I get to God being gracious, though. Uh, look at verse 26. Look at verse 26. Servant falls on his knees and he says, uh, have patience with me. I'll pay you everything. Dis- despite the extremity of the debt, right? I will say this too about this debtor. He still thinks he can actually pay it back. Uh, some of you might think uh, that you can pay back the debt. And I would say, like I said earlier, that you, you really just can't climb out of this thing. Um, you can't just wash it away. You can't just wish that it was better and then move along. Um, uh, Jesus is saying that Ezra Raymond. I think I knew that already, but that's a, that's a strong middle name, Raymond. Okay. Uh, again, whoever's, yeah, whoever's getting this is going to be so like, what in the world's happening? Right. Uh, the point that I would say here is that, uh, right, no matter what we do, he thinks that he, he, it's not that bad, and that's part of the problem. Uh, Jesus is saying that there's no other hope on our own, right? That the debt is too great. Um, when I was in college, I think it was probably my sophomore year of college for the summer, I worked at a camp in Black Mountain, North Carolina, where we played this game called Commando. And you would have these water balloons, and the whole point of the game was to run across the field and where there would be like a group of 15 and 16 year old campers who were always for the record, the worst campers. So don't feel horrible for them in this story, but you would take your water balloon and you would get three points. If you busted your water balloon on one of these campers and they had like paddles that they would try and like block it with. Um, and you would just hurl it as hard as you can, usually at their face or groin area. Uh, if you were particularly mean, um, which I never was of course. And so, uh, I, you run down, you do this and the way that the game worked is, uh, you would also have two 10 year old or below kids who would have socks and they were called stingers and they would throw the socks at you. And if they hit you with a sock, you had to bust your balloon on the ground. You had to go stand in front of the guys who were getting pelted with the water balloons. So you also got hit and you acted like a human shield against your own team. Well, one summer, uh, I was playing this game, and we were down to our last water balloon, and the way that I got it, uh, somebody from the other team had thrown one, and it didn't bust. And you have to remember that when they're playing this game, they're like, you know, shielding, they're like dancing all over the place because the the water balloons are coming from everywhere because you go all at once, like all 60 of you are throwing the water balloons all at once. And they're busting everywhere. And one falls on the ground, and while they're dancing, I just jump on top of it to try and save it. And I literally just get my head, like, jammed into the mud. They're, like, dancing all over me. But I'm just trying to shield this one balloon. And by some miracle, it does not bust. 
and I take this, I take this balloon and I walk over to the littlest camper in our whole camp. His name is Paul Hemphill. And I walk over to Paul Hemphill and I say, Paul, this, this balloon represents the last hope of our tribe. The last hope of points. This could be the difference between us winning the banner, like the whole year's worth of thing, like a big bragging rights thing. This could make the difference. You, right now, this is your moment. And he's like, I won't let you down, Chachi, which was my nickname at camp. And, I, uh, and I, he takes the balloon and he runs it. And I say, now listen, I'm gonna, they think I had the balloon. I'm going to run out wide right. And then I need you to just streak straight towards him and hit him with the balloon. Nobody will think it's coming for you. And the kid's like, yeah, okay, I got you. I got you, I got you. I said, so stay far away from me. Do you understand? Stay away from me. And he was like, yeah, got you, I got you. He did not stay far away from me. He ran right beside me the whole time. And so what happened was, uh, as soon as I crossed the line, uh, one of these little guys threw his sock, like went whizzing by my face, dodged it, and then another kid came up and hit me on the other side with a sock square in the chest. And I was like, ha ha, I don't have the balloon though. There he is. And I, I turned around just in time to see him running right next to me. And I was like, oh no. And the kid like looks at the, looks at the sock for a second, looks at me and like bends down to pick it up. And you know what I did in that moment? I reared back as hard as I could and I just kind of punted this thing as high as I could get it. And it literally goes like, like I've never kicked something so far in my life. It was like 30 feet. Uh, like for a kick, pretty, pretty impressive of a, like a sock. Uh, goes up on the hill, kind of like unreachable. And I turn back around and I see Paul Hemphill streaking, bust a balloon on one of the gray bearders and the old guys. And I'm like cheering. I'm like, yes, I did it. I have the power. And then I realize that the little guy that had thrown the, the sock at me that I kicked is just weeping, like absolutely weeping. I had never felt in that moment so exposed and so stupid and so mean and so horrible as I did that moment. And what I'm saying here is the same thing that Jesus is saying is that that's us, that we're all sock kickers, that that's the, that at the end of the day, like nothing you can do can separate you from the fact that like on some level, like we are just people who see socks and we think I want to do what I want to do and we kick them and that that deserves a punishment that God would be right to punish a sock kicker like me. And I've done worse things than kick that sock for the record, but it was pretty bad. Uh, you didn't see his face. Uh, now, look at me at verse 27. Look at me at verse 27. God doesn't punish us. This is the crazy part. God doesn't punish us. God has compassion on the servant. And this, of course, you know, it doesn't mean that he lets the servant go free uh, without, you know, anything going wrong. I, I was saying this earlier. Um, God isn't just going to like absorb the debt in the sense that like, oh, it's fine. And now he can lose the money and nothing happened. Right. The truth is that that zillion dollars has got to come from somewhere. And it comes from the king's ledger. Right, that it's not that uh, the sin that is committed just doesn't matter to the king. It doesn't matter. It's not that the the debt that has been owed doesn't matter to him. It matters a great deal. He just actually wants to have forgiveness on the other person. Right. The truth is the same way with us. Uh, the cost has to get paid, and it's God who pays it. That Jesus dies to cover our sins with His blood, and that the punishment of death that we should have. 
right, for being sock kickers, Jesus takes on himself. When God looks at me, he no longer sees Nick the sock kicker. He sees Jesus the sock kicker. He says, man, why did you kick that kid's sock that one time? And Jesus is like, you know, I am who I am. And he looks at me and he's like, I'm so glad that you fed 5,000 people. I'm so glad that you cared so much. Remember that time you told that parable to that guy, Peter, and you helped him understand the gospel? Like, you're just such, all of your obedience is so amazing. That's how God looks at me, that I have done all these amazing things. That's how he looks at you if you put your faith in Christ. Right? The parable uh, tells us that this king absorbs the debt and uh, forgives this servant who doesn't, who doesn't deserve it. Now, I said, secondly, we'll do this more briefly. What does that mean for our capacity to forgive? Right? If, that's tr- if that's the way, if that's the situation we're in, that God looks at us and cares about us that way, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you guys as you work and you study at UWM and you live your lives and you have your relationships? Man, look at verse verse 28 through 30. What does that mean for us? Well, Jesus says we shouldn't be like this guy. I'm not going to go through all the specifics, but I'll just say this uh, to to put a fine point on it. This dude chokes another guy to get his debt back, right? And it's 100 denarii. It's three months wages. Remember how I said it was like 16 and a half years times 10,000? This is three months he wants back from this guy. And literally is so angry and so vindictive about getting his money back that he chokes another person. If we're, if we're understanding Jesus correctly, right, if we're really in the, the, the position of this servant, then if we're not careful, this can be us. right? Choking out our friends, choking out our, our girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever proverbially, also maybe fig- literally, but then we should probably talk about that, um, really need to talk about that. Also, police, maybe. Um, the point that I'm, I'm talking is, uh, like, this is our temptation, is, to, is to, for God to remove this huge debt that we have, and then for us to turn around and even find the guy, right? The, the verb there is not that he just happens upon him. He literally goes out and finds somebody to extract money from. This is a man who's still holding on to debts. Uh, he is not forgiving 77 times. He is acutely aware. Now, why is that? Remember how I said earlier that this guy doesn't think he's, he thinks he can pay it back, right? The truth is the, the, the correlation that Jesus is making is if you are forgiven a little bit, if you think you can pay it all back, if you think you're, you don't really need uh, forgiveness that much, you're not going to forgive that much. If we walk around thinking, like, I'm a pretty good person, I do the right things, like, you're going to walk around thinking everybody else ought to be a pretty good person and do the right things. You're going to hold them to that kind of a standard, right? Uh, the truth is, uh, you become what you worship. If, you wor- if your God is, you know, perfectionism, uh, I know some of you guys are in majors and in places where you are told that uh, do it again until it's perfect, Right? Uh, maybe you're in maths of some sort and you, uh, there's only one right answer. Work until you get it right. Or maybe you're in dance and it's do it over again until the kick is high enough, until uh, your body hits the right line. I don't know what it is for you. But if you think that perfectionism is the standard, you'll hold everybody else to that too. You'll become what you worship. You'll hold everyone else to the same things that you do. If you 
think that uh, God is a tyrant, then you'll be a tyrant. Right? It doesn't have to be the Christian God. If you, uh, oh man, if you think of life in terms of your sexual conquests, then you will be a sexual conquistador. Right? Uh, boom, a little Spanish for you. Uh, right? Like if you, th- if you think the whole goal in life is to get with the hottest person or the be- person who's going to make you feel best about yourself, then you will use everybody around you to feel the best about yourself. Right? And, and they'll use you in kind. Now, in closing, I'll say this. This is the God who's offering to us grace and forgiveness so that we can actually be friends who don't just tit for tat so that we don't just uh, become people who demand and demand and demand and cannot forgive. Jesus says, actually, you can forgive everything if you realize that this is how, on a cosmic scale, God has actually forgiven you. He loves you. Um, Now, at the end here, I got to note, Jesus says this about the parable. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Uh, One way to read this is that Jesus is saying here at the end, he's like, and if you don't forgive, you got to earn, you got to earn it. Uh, You got to earn the grace that I'm telling you God will give you that he'll forgive all your debts like this big debtor forgave, got his big debt forgiven. But uh, as long as you forgive, then God will forgive you. Right? That you have to forgive first and then God will forgive you. But remember how the course of this parable works, right? The debtor, the first debtor, right? The first servant is forgiven his debt free and clear. Uh, it's not that he has to forgive the other debtor before God will forgive him. It's that God goes first in forgiveness, right? He longs to forgive this first servant and then allows him the freedom to forgive other people. It's actually that he squanders the forgiveness he's been given. That's the problem in the parable. In other words, he hasn't really been forgiven. It's why uh, the king gets so angry. It's because the guy doesn't act like he's been forgiven. He doesn't want the forgiveness that he's been given because he shows it by his works. The very moment that he's out of the king's presence, he's busy choking people out for three months wages. Uh, I do need to be a little bit sensitive as as I talk about how much we should forgive. I do want to say this last thing in closing. Some of you guys have been have have been through some have been through some horrific things, maybe abuse or trauma in your past. I I just want to say sometimes when we talk about forgiveness, you can hear me saying, you can hear people from a pulpit, some pastor somewhere saying, like forgive your abuser or forgive somebody who's done something really horrible to you. What I'm saying is not that you should just like brush everything under the rug. And Jesus is also not minimizing the sin that gets committed against you. Like I said, the debts actually don't just go away in this parable, right? Every sin, every debt that we take on, it doesn't just magically disappear. Somebody has to pay for that. God cares very, very much about everything that you've been through. And in fact, dies on the cross to cover over like the, the penalty that like our sin deserves is the death of the Son of God. That's how serious God takes our shortcomings and sin. Um, I, I would say this in terms of the, like, what does is, what is forgiveness look like for people that have very seriously, like, unearned our trust? And I think Jesus is asking you to, like, just keep submitting yourself to people who will abuse you or hurt you. I would say this, uh, that trust 
uh, might be lost with somebody. They, they, they might need to be on a short leash or they might need to be uh, even cut from your life because they cannot be trusted, right? Uh, there are people like that. But what Jesus would say is, uh, who takes vengeance on those people? Do you harbor that in your heart? Do you spend all your time thinking, I hope that person gets what's coming? I, and, and I want to do it. I want to be the person who gets vengeance. Or are you willing to trust that that king cares a lot about the debt? And he will one day get his debt. He will execute justice. Uh, Dan Allender says it like this, ultimately, like the purpose of forgiveness is, not, is actually not for the people that we're forgiving. It's for us. Uh, Dan Allender in a book called Bold Love, that's actually back on our book table. He says this, I will not live with purpose and joy unless I love. I, I cannot live with purpose and joy unless I love. I will not be able to love unless I forgive. And I will not forgive unless my hatred is continually melted by the searing truth and grace of the gospel. That when we see that God has forgiven our debt, maybe just maybe there is room for us to look at somebody else and say, I forgive you of yours, right? Even, even things that are the most heinous and hard to talk about. Uh, this shooter in Memphis um, that maybe just maybe if we understand how much debt we've been forgiven, we can look at that guy and say, I forgive you for that. I forgive you. I hope, I hope for justice, but I for, I'm not going to execute it against you. It's this kind of love built on the foundation of forgiveness is what relationships are all about. And God frees us up for those by giving us forgiveness first. Let's pray.